0: Hello everyone and welcome to our time together in the Word of God for this week. Last week we were looking at Jesus in the Storm and I trust that message was an encouragement to you. Uh, If you haven't seen it, you can find it on our YouTube channel, A Court Farm Evangelical Church, and I hope that message will encourage you. This week, however, I want to return to a theme uh, that I've been going through over the last couple of months concerning the attributes of God, getting back to the God of the Bible. And this week I want us to focus on the fact that God is love. God is love. So if you have your Bibles, I wonder if you'd turn with me to the first letter of John, chapter 4, and I'm going to be reading from verse 8. 1 John chapter 4, starting from verse 8, where we read, He that loveth not, knoweth not God, for God is love. In this was manifested the love of God toward us, because that God sent his only begotten Son into the world, that we might live through him. Herein is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. And then on to verse 16. And we have known and believed the love that God hath to us. God is love, and he that dwelleth in love dwelleth in God, and God in him. Let's have a word of prayer together, shall we? Dear Lord as we come before you today we want to ask of you that you would graciously speak your word into all our hearts we pray dear Father that your anointing would be upon my speaking and upon all our hearing we ask that Lord we would have ears to hear what the Spirit is saying to us and that we would be those that truly respond to what we hear by faith we want to ask of you Lord to help us For your word says, my sheep hear my voice and they follow me. And we do want to follow you, Lord. We do want to hear your voice and respond in the way you want us to. So, Lord, have your way amongst us. Lead us, guide us in this time. And may you get all the praise and the glory. In Jesus' name we ask. Amen. Amen. Well, dear brothers and sisters. What a theme this is, the love of God. Really, no language is adequate for us to describe the love that God has for us. We feel that everything we could say is inadequate. How can we put into words the greatness, the vastness, the depth, the height of the love that God has for his own but we must uh, seek out to do the best we can to consider the Scriptures together and to truly meditate and consider the greatness of God's love. And dear friends, the love of God is so different from the kind of love that we are seeing uh, today in our society. Love is mentioned a lot, isn't it? On the television, in song, a lot more today perhaps than in previous generations. But it seems to me that we know less about the nature of true love than previous generations did. And the reason for that is quite clear. That we have departed from the word of God and from God himself. And from the one who is love. And as we've departed from him, we have come to understand uh, love in a different light. And really what we've done is exchange love for lust. And lust is not love. Lust is seeking to have for oneself that which is forbidden. But love is giving out and sacrificial towards one undeserving. The nature of God's love is so different from the kind of love we see talked about today in society. A lot of this kind of love today, uh, or understanding of love, goes back to the 1960s really, where new ideas about what love is was coming to the fore by various professors and psychiatrists of the day. There was a lot of talk about free love and the new morality, which someone described as nothing different but the same as the old immorality, just dressed up in a different way, which is very true. But there was all this talk in the 1960s about pushing the boundaries, about getting rid of our old understandings of what love is, and that we have to come into something new, you see. That was the teaching of that day. And such psychiatrists as George Carstairs, who did the famous wreath lectures in the early 1960s, Um, that was recorded on BBC Radio 1962, they were pushing, seeking to push boundaries and uh, to say really we can do away with this idea of the morality as revealed in the word of God. We need something more free and, and new. And so people bought into this more and more, and, and went away from the biblical understanding of, of love and experimented in all kinds of ways. And as a result of those experiments, we saw the beginning of the breakup of the family unit, and that has continued up until this day. And what a disaster it's been, and how many broken lives have Of of, of how many lives have been wrecked as a result of this kind of teaching. But you see, it's because we've departed from the Word of God. And there's nothing new under the sun anyway. We see just a departure from God, and as a result, we claim to know what love is when we're really um, exhibiting what lust is. But God's love isn't a lustful love in that sense at all. God's love is a sacrificial love. We read um, in 1 Corinthians 13 of the nature of what true love is. And we find it to be far different from the type of love that is being purported today. Or rather brought out as love today. 1 Corinthians 13 shows us that love is... um, long-suffering, that it is kind, that it doesn't envy, that it doesn't vaunt itself, that it is not puffed up, it does not behave itself in an unseemly way, it doesn't seek its own, it isn't easily provoked, and thinks no evil, it does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in truth, it bears all things, believes all things, Endures all things. Love never fails. Now that's what the Bible speaks as to the nature of love. So different, isn't it, from the type of what is called love being paraded today. But let us get back to the God of the Bible and back to the God of love. And as we get back to God, we'll get back to an understanding. Of what true love is. Twice in the passage of scripture that I read. In 1 John. We have this phrase. God. Is. Love. And the type of love. That's spoken of concerning the Lord's love. Is from a Greek word. Agapeo. And it expresses. A deep and constant love and interest of a perfect being towards an entirely unworthy object or objects. The nature of God's love is that it's constant, that it's sacrificial, it's not purely based on feeling, but it's based on action. And it's a demonstrative love. It's a love that acts and a love that gives out towards those who are completely undeserving of it. It is a sacrificial love. And we'll come to see more of that as we look at the scriptures together. But God's love, dear friends, was before man or this earth was ever created. Because God is love. And within the Trinity there was this love. The Father for the Son and the Spirit together they shared in love one to another. The Lord Jesus himself spoke about the love the Father has for him in the Gospel of John. In John chapter 17 And verse 24, we read these words. Jesus is speaking, and he's speaking to the Father, and he says this, Father, I will that they also whom thou hast given me be with me where I am, that they may behold my glory which thou hast given me, for thou lovest me before the foundation of the world. Did you notice that? Before the foundation of the world, the Father's love was toward His own Son. And we read a number of occasions in the scripture when Jesus walked upon this earth where the Father spoke from heaven of His love for His Son. We read of this at Jesus' baptism in Matthew chapter 3 and verse 17. Matthew chapter 3. I'm going to read from verse 16. And Jesus, when he was baptized, went up straightway out of the water, and lo, the heavens were opened unto him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and lighting upon him. And lo, a voice from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. This is my beloved son. God's centre of affections, the Father's love, was upon his son. And we read of this also in the Gospel of Luke, concerning the time when the Lord Jesus was transfigured. Luke chapter 9. If you turn there please, Luke chapter 9. And we read this in verse 35. Let's read from verse 34. While he thus spoke, there came a cloud and overshadowed them and they feared as they entered into the cloud and there came a voice out of the cloud saying, this is my beloved son. Hear him. This is my beloved son. Hear him. Yeah. But what I want us to consider now is the love that the Lord God the Father has for his own in relation to the Lord Jesus. If you turn back with me to Matthew ch- sorry to John chapter 17 John chapter 17 again let's turn back there once more and back in John chapter 17 and verse 23, just the one before I spoke of um, a moment ago, Jesus is praying still to the Father and he says this, I in them and thou in me, that they may be made perfect in one, and that the world may know that thou hast sent me and hast loved them as thou hast loved me. Now, isn't that a glorious statement, dear friends? Jesus is saying that the Father loves the people of God as he loves his Son. We've seen the particular love the Father has for the Son in Matthew chapter 3, and then again in Luke chapter 9. And here we are looking at a verse where Jesus is saying about the love the Father has for him, that same love he pours out on his own. Now, this is a tremendous thought, dear friends, and one that we should continually consider, particularly if we're those who doubt the love of God toward us. Would we ever doubt the love the Father has for his Son? Yet many believers struggle with God's love for them. Well, hopefully we're going to look at that a little bit later on. But just for now, consider this same love that is poured out on the Son. Jesus says it in verse 23. That the world may know that thou hast sent me and has loved them as thou hast loved me. What a tremendous statement this is dear friends, isn't it? Well, I want us to go back to the Old Testament to consider the nature of God's love toward his own through the scriptures. And uh, we're going to come back to the New Testament in a little while. But let's have a look at the nature of the Lord's love towards his own. We certainly know that God created Adam and Eve that he might have fellowship with them He wanted to walk with them in the garden. He showed his love to them. He gave them so much. And then, of course, we had the four. There were, of course, others who walked with God, like Noah, Enoch, others in those early chapters of Genesis that we could speak of. But then we get to Abraham, a man who the Lord called his friend. It's one thing for me to say the Lord is my friend, but what a glorious thing when God says of us that we're his friends. What a tremendous uh, glory that is, isn't it, friends? But just consider for a moment how God got hold of Abraham. He laid hold of him, he spoke to him, he chose him and brought him out of Ur of the Chaldees, And out of this man, The Lord made a nation, the people of Israel. And these were a people that God had brought into being. And we read so much of God's love towards the people of Israel in the scriptures. And so let's begin by looking at his love for the people of Israel. For his love for them will show us his love for us. Because God doesn't change of himself. So let's read about God's love for his people in the book of Deuteronomy and chapter 7. The book of Deuteronomy and chapter 7. And I'm going to read from verse 6. Deuteronomy chapter 7 and verse 6. The Lord speaking Or this is speaking of the Lord's people. For thou art a holy people unto the Lord thy God. The Lord thy God has chosen thee to be a special people unto himself, above all people that are upon the face of the earth. The Lord did not set his love upon you, nor choose you, because ye were more in number than any people, for ye were the fewest of all people. But because the Lord loved you and because he would keep the oath which he had sworn unto your fathers, had the Lord brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you out of the house of bondmen from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. Well, what does this, these verses show us about the nature of God's love towards the people of Israel? Well, did you get what was said in verse 7 and 8? Verse 7, the Lord says he did not set his love upon them or choose them because they were in more in number than any other people. So why was it that God loved the people of Israel? Verse 8 shows us, but because the Lord loved you. Now let me ask you a question. Dear child of God, Why does the Lord love you? I can only say that He loves you because He loves you. Why has He set His love upon you? If you are born again of the Spirit of God, you're a child of God, why has God set His love upon you? I can only say this, the reason that God has set his love upon you is because he loves you. This is exactly what is stated here in verse 7 and 8. God's love was set upon the people of Israel because he set his love upon the people of Israel. There's something of a mystery concerning God's love. There's something of a mystery concerning love altogether. Why do people fall in love? Why does this person fall in love with that person? What causes that? There's something of a mystery. Why did God set his love upon them? Well, first of all, he set his love upon the children of Israel because he loved them. It reminds me of what the Lord Jesus, um, of his love towards his disciples in the Gospel of John and chapter 13 In the Gospel of John, and chapter 13, and verse 1, we read these words. Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour was come, that he should depart out of this world unto the Father, having loved his own which were in the world, he loved them unto the end. Having loved them, he loved them. And God, having set his love upon the people of Israel, he loved them. Why did God love them? Because he loved them. That's all we can say. And that love goes on, as we shall see in a little while. But it's a little bit like that passage in John. God loved the children of Israel... Because he loved them, Jesus set his love upon these disciples and loved them. To the end, it wasn't because they were worthy to be loved or they were easy to deal with. It was because he decided to love them. And the same is true in Deuteronomy and chapter 7. Well, going back to this passage, secondly, I want us to notice that it wasn't anything in and of these people that elicited God's love toward them. It wasn't that there was something about them that inclined his love toward them. We read that specifically in verse 7. The Lord makes it clear. The Lord did not set his love upon you, nor choose you because ye were more in number than any people, for ye were the fewest of all people. There was nothing in and of them that should cause God to love them there was nothing about them it wasn't because they were a great nation that the Lord was going to decide to set his love upon them because then he would be seen as great in them no in fact the scriptures show us that it was quite the opposite this was not a great nation this was a small nation these were a people as it were who were few relatively in number And yet God met with them. And God spoke to them. And God set his love on them. And also the Lord chose them. Now notice from verse 6 we read this. For thou art a holy people unto the Lord thy God. The Lord thy God has chosen thee to be a special people unto himself. God's love and his choice go together in the word of, word of God. Love and choice go together. They belong together in scripture. And we go on to read in verse 8. But because the Lord loved you and because he would keep the oath which he swore unto your fathers, had the Lord brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you out of the house of bondmen from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. So this shows us something very precious, dear friends, and it shows us the nature of God's love towards his people. That firstly, he loved them because he loved them. Secondly, he didn't choose them because there was something in them that elicited or in a sense drew his love toward them. They were fewest in number. There wasn't anything of them that caused God to love them. Even the fact that it was, that it was the fact that they were the least of all people, as it were, almost, that God chose them. There was nothing in them. And the tr- same is true of us, isn't it, dear friends? We consider the scripture in 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, We read these words. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, going to read from verse 27. Let's read from verse 26. For ye see your calling, brethren, how that not many wise men after the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. But God has chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty and base things of the world and things which are despised. Has God chosen, yea, and things which are not to bring to naught things that are, that no flesh should glory In his presence. But of him are ye in Christ Jesus, who of God is made unto us wisdom and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. That according as it is written, He that glorieth let him glory in the Lord. What a wonderful statement this is. God has chosen the weak things, the small things, the few things, so that no flesh should glory in his presence. Israel being raised up as a great nation could not glory in its natural strength. God chose them as weak, feeble, and vulnerable of themselves, as it were. But he set his love upon them because he loved them. And the same is true of you. God has set his love upon you because he loves you and he's chosen you, even though you may may be weak, feeble, the outcasts of society you may feel you have nothing going for you naturally speaking but God has set his love upon you and that is all you need dear friend just rejoice in this fact if God loves you that's the most important thing in the whole of the universe don't fear what others might think of you for God has set his love upon you if you're born of his spirit praise God What a glorious truth this is. Well, dear friends, let's look a bit further at the nature of God's love for the children of Israel. We read in the book of Jeremiah, Jeremiah chapter 31 and verse 1. Jeremiah 31 verse 1 says this. At the same time, saith the Lord, will I be the God of all the families of Israel, and they shall be my people. Thus saith the Lord, the people which were left of the sword found grace in the wilderness, even Israel, when I went to cause him to rest. The Lord has appeared of old unto me, saying, Yea, I have loved thee with an everlasting love, therefore with loving kindness have I drawn thee. Again, I will build thee, and thou shalt be built, O virgin of Israel. Thou shalt again be adorned with thy tabrets, and shalt go forth in the dances of them that make merry. What a tremendous statement this is. God defines the nature of his love for the children of Israel in His passage. And he simply says, I have loved thee with an everlasting love. In other words, with a love that endures. And we saw in 1 Corinthians chapter 13 that love bears all things, that love never fails. It does not fail. And God's love endures. It's the nature of his love. It's not that somehow God has a whim over a particular people or a person. He sets his love on them. And then a couple of years later, he's finding it, too difficult to deal with them, and so he throws them away and uh, begins with something new. That's not the nature of the love of God. We've already seen that the nature of the Lord's love is one of endurance. We mentioned that how the Lord Jesus exhibited this love towards his disciples in John chapter 13. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. He was expressing the very nature of the love of the Father, of his own love for his people. And this is what God is like. We serve a God, dear friends, that does not change. Hallelujah. Praise God that his love is consistent and his love is everlasting towards the people of Israel. And can we not therefore say that God's love towards the church, towards those born again of the Spirit of God, is of an everlasting nature? Thank God it is, dear friends, because if the love of God wasn't of an everlasting nature, where would we be if the love of God toward us depended upon us? we would all fall short because none of us have been those that have been perfect in our love toward God. But thank God, we have a God who is consistent, unchanging, unswerving in his attitude, in his love. Towards his people. What a tremendous scripture this is that we've just seen from Jeremiah chapter 31 towards his people. Look over at chapter 31, same chapter, sorry, but onto verse 31 where we read of the Lord's covenant with his people. Let me read this to you. Behold the days come saith the Lord that I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day that I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt which my covenant they break although I was a husband unto them saith the Lord. But this shall be the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. After those days, saith the Lord, I will put my law in their inward parts, and write it in their hearts, and will be their God. And they shall be my people, and they shall teach no more. Every man his neighbour, and every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me. From the least of them unto the greatest of them, saith the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity, and I will remember their sin no more. Verse 35. Thus saith the Lord, which giveth the sun for a light by day, and the ordinances of the moon and of the stars for a light by night, which divideth the sea when the waves thereof roar, the Lord of hosts is his name. If those ordinances depart from before me, saith the Lord, then the seed of Israel also shall cease from being a nation before me forever. Thus saith the Lord, if heaven above can be measured, and the foundations of the earth searched out beneath, I will also cast off all the seed of Israel, for all that they have done, saith the Lord. What a tremendous passage of scripture this is, friends. What a covenant that God is, going, is speaking of bringing his people into. This glorious new covenant. And that it was nothing of the worthiness of the children of Israel that they deserved to receive such a covenant as this. For they broke the previous covenant. There was nothing in and of themselves that would merit God's favor in such a way. But the Lord has so worked a glorious covenant that as Gentiles we have come into, a glorious covenant with the house of Israel, and the house of Judah, that one day the people of Israel might know their God. And they will come into this glorious new covenant that we spoke about here. But you see the nature. Of the Lord's love towards his own in this passage. The reason this covenant was given. Was because God loved his people with an everlasting love. It's that love that undergirds the very bringing into being of such a covenant. With a people that had actually forsaken God. And gone against it. Let's um, take up Ezekiel chapter 36. Ezekiel chapter 36, and I want to read to you from verse 29. This is the Lord, again, speaking of his people, and he says, I will also save you from all your uncleannesses, and I will call for the corn and will increase it and lay no famine upon you. And so that scripture goes on. But notice the Lord is saying, I will also save you from all your uncleannesses. A little bit earlier in the passage, if we go back to verse 25, the Lord says, Then will I sprinkle clean water upon you, and ye shall be clean. From all your filthiness and from all your idols will I cleanse you. A new heart, listen friends, to such words. A new heart also will I give you. And a new spirit will I put within you. And I will take away the stony heart out of your flesh. And I will give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you. And cause you to walk in my statutes. And ye shall keep my judgments and do them and ye shall dwell in the land that i gave to your fathers and ye shall be my people and i will be your god oh friends this is the language of divine love towards a people that were hard of heart and the lord saying to them i'm going to take out that hardness from your heart and i'm going to give you a heart of flesh this is the love of god there was nothing of the children of israel of themselves that should cause God to be so generous in his love toward them. But this is the nature, you see, of God's love. This is the agapo love. This is the love that gives out in spite of the unworthiness of the one who is receiving it. Let's look a little bit further into Isaiah chapter 49. Isaiah chapter 49 further scriptures speaking about the love of God concerning his own people verse 16 look at what the Lord says behold let's read from verse 14 but Zion said the Lord has forsaken me and my Lord has forgotten me can a woman forget her sucking child that she should not have compassion on the son of her womb Yea, they may forget, yet will I not forget thee. Behold, I have graven thee upon the palms of my hand. Thy walls are continually before me. What a tremendous encouragement for the people of Israel this was. The Lord had actually graven them upon the palms of his hands. Their walls were continually before him. You see the heart that the Lord has for Zion. Now Zion speaks of the city of God, but he can also speak of the people of God as well. And what a tremendous passage of scripture that is. Over to Hosea, please. The book of Hosea. I want you to look carefully at this particular passage. Because... In this particular passage in Hosea 11, this is the Lord dealing with a people again that were rebelling against him. Now, notice what the Lord says and the tenderness and the, the tenderness of his words. Let's read from verse 1 When Israel was a child, then I loved him and called my son out of Egypt. As they called them, so they went from them. They sacrificed unto Belim and burned incense to graven images. I taught Ephraim also to go, taking them by their arms, but they knew not that I healed them. I drew them with cords of a man, with bands of love, and I was to them as they that take off the yoke on their jaws, and I laid meat under them. He shall not return into the land of Egypt, But the Assyrian shall be his king because they refuse to return. And the sword shall abide on his cities and shall consume his branches and devour them because of their own counsels. And my people are bent to backsliding from me. Though they called them to the Most High, none at all would exhort him. How shall I give thee up, Ephraim? How shall I deliver thee, Israel? How shall I make thee as Admah? How shall I set thee as Zeboim? My heart is turned within me. My repentings are kindled together. I will not execute the fierceness of mine anger. I will not return to destroy Ephraim. For I am God and not man. The Holy One in the midst of thee. And I will not enter into the city. And so the scripture goes on. What an extraordinary passage of scripture this is the Lord is speaking of Israel as his firstborn son and he's dealing with a son that has gone wayward a son that is rebellious a son that is not doing as his father has called him to do a son that indeed must know the discipline of the father because every good father will discipline his son and God does discipline his own people in love It's a sign that God loves us if he disciplines us. The idea that we should not discipline our children because it's not loving is a lie. And God disciplines those he loves and fathers should lovingly discipline their children also. In this passage though, when the Lord speaks of the waywardness of his dear son, Um, his dear people he goes on to say in verse 8 how shall I give thee up Ephraim how shall I deliver thee Israel and he goes on doesn't he to say I will not execute the fierceness of mine anger I will not return to destroy Ephraim for I am God and not a man oh thank God for the nature of his love we read more of that kind of um Speech from the Lord concerning the nature of his ongoing love in relation to his character in the book of Malachi and chapter 3. And in Malachi chapter 3 we have this, ex- this amazing statement. Chapter 3 and verse 6 says, For I am the Lord, I change not, therefore ye sons of Jacob are not consumed. Ye sons of Jacob are not consumed. Why? Because the Lord changes not. Do you know, I would have thought that scripture would have said, For I am the Lord, I change not, therefore you are consumed. That's what I would have imagined. But the Lord is so different from us, isn't he? He's not like a man. He doesn't change in the way that a man changes and has vacillating thoughts towards and against people or whims. We have a God that is unchanging and consistent in his love because he is a consistent in his person. For I am the Lord, I change not, therefore ye sons of Jacob are not consumed. What do we read at the beginning of Malachi? Chapter 1 and verse 2 says, I have loved you, saith the Lord. I have loved you, saith the Lord. Yet I loved Jacob. This is what the scriptures say. God loved Jacob and therefore Jacob was not consumed. And we go on to read about glorious things in the book of Zechariah concerning the people of Israel we read of a fountain being opened for sin in Zechariah chapter 13 verse 1 we read in that day there shall be a fountain to the house of David and to the inhabitants of Jerusalem for sin and for uncleanness the conquering love of God over the people that he loves. But lest we think this truth concerning Israel is merely confined to the Old Testament, let me, let me remind you what the Scriptures say in the book of Romans, chapter 11, and from verse 28. The Scriptures say concerning them, as t- concerning the gospel, they are enemies for your sakes, for the sakes of the Gentiles. But as touching the election. They are beloved for the Father's sakes. For the gifts and calling of God. Are without repentance. Or as another version puts it. Are irrevocable. What a statement this is brothers and sisters. They are beloved. The people of Israel currently, as it were, are enemies of the gospel. But it's all part of a divine purpose that the Gentiles may come in to the glorious gospel. But the Lord has not cast away his people. And we see even in our day, the Lord is bringing back the people of Israel from the nations back to their own land. Israel is a nation again, from 1948 on to now. We see that Israel is on the map map again. And it's all because of God's undying, unfailing, consistent and full love for his people. And the fact that he has said to them, I have loved thee with an everlasting love. Now, dear brothers and sisters, this should give you tremendous confidence concerning your own walk with the Lord. For if God has not failed his people Israel, the Lord will not fail every child of God that is truly born again of the Spirit of God. There are many believers that abound as it were, by fear, anxiety, or they're under the weight of the condemnation of the enemy. They feel, some Christians feel at times they've committed the unpardonable sin. There are Christians that are driven to such distractions of anxiety that it causes their health to go into such decline. They fear that somehow... They are not as good as they ought to be, and therefore God has finished with them. I think every child of God that has a tender conscience towards God at times has wondered, I've gone too far. I've so gone against the Word of God. And our hearts are mourning over our sin. Oh, dear friends, to such would not the Lord say, Have you not seen my love for my people? Have you not understood that I'm not like a man? Oh, let us consider the kind of love that the Lord has for us, dear friends. Do you remember what the Lord says in the book of Romans, chapter 5 and verse 8? We read these words. Let me read them to you. Romans chapter 5 and verse 8. But God commendeth his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Now consider that for a moment, different. God is commending his love toward us in this that while we were yet sinners, while we were in our state of rebellion and godlessness and wickedness and profanity, the Lord, the Lord God, gave his Son and Christ died for us. Not when we were perfect. Christ doesn't die for the perfect. That would be a a contradiction to the very nature of the work of the cross. The cross had to take place so that sinners could be made right with God. And it was while we were in rebellion to God that Christ died for us. And God commends his love to us this way. In previous verse, we read... In verse 7, for scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet, paraventure, for a good man some would even dare to die. So Paul is saying, some would even dare to die for a good man, some may dare to. But God's love is revealed that while we were at our worst against him, the Son of God died for us, gave his life for us. We read about the Lord's love further, or the nature of this love, in John chapter 15 and verse 13. The scriptures say, Greater love has no man than this, that a man should la- that a man lay down his life for his friends. Greater love has no man than this, that a man should lay down his life for his friends. And back further in John chapter 10 and verse 11, we read these words. I am the good shepherd, this is Jesus speaking, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd giveth his life for the sheep. The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep we read in Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 25. It says, Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it, that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word, that he might present it to himself, a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. This is the love that the Lord has for us, and we see that he's laid down his life for us, dear friends. God commends his love to us, that the Lord Jesus has laid his life down for us, even when we were sinners, when we were far from God. Now, Ephesians chapter 2 speaks about the condition we were in uh, concerning uh, our state before we came to Christ. Now, Ephesians 2 verse 1 says, And you has he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins, where in time past ye walked according to the course of this world according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom also we all had our conversation in times past, in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. But God, who is rich in mercy for his great love, wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, has quickened us together with Christ. By grace ye are saved, and has raised us up together, and made us sit together in heavenly places, in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness toward us through Christ Jesus, for by grace are ye saved through faith and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. Dear friends, what a description of the state we were in. We walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air. We were under the grip of the powers of darkness. Our minds were darkened. We were deceived. We were doing the enemy's bidding. We were full of disobedience. We had our conversation in times past in the lusts of our flesh, didn't we? Our conversation was perverse. The things we spoke about were unclean. They were rude. They were ugly. They were profane. We fulfilled the desires of the flesh and of the mind, didn't we? We lived for our flesh. We lived for our sensual appetites to be gratified. We broke the commandments of God. We rebelled against God and laughed at our rebellion. And then it says this, verse 4. who is rich in mercy for his great love wherewith he loved us even when we were dead in sins has quickened us together with Christ brothers and sisters I want you to note something here after Paul describes the nature of what we were like before we came to Christ. Children of wrath, just like the others. Verse 4 doesn't go on to say, but then we turned and we changed our minds and we repented and we decided we were going to follow Jesus and we realised what we did was wrong and we decided we were going to follow the Lord and it was all from us and then God had mercy on us. No. No. Christ died for us while we were yet sinners. It doesn't say that what I've just stated does it friends? What does it say? After stating that we were children of wrath Even as others, it goes on to say in verse 4, But God, but God, God found an answer to our own rebellion against God. This is love, dear friends. This is such love that God should love a people that have rebelled against him, that have spoiled his creation, that have shook their fist in his face. And against such opposition and rebellion and depravity, he sends his very son, the object of his love, into the world to be crucified by the very people that he created so that he could win a people back to himself. Friends, this is love. This is love. What do we read in 1 John? 1 John chapter 4 and verse 10 says this, "Herein in his love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. God loved us first and he found a way whereby our sin could be rightly judged but not upon ourselves but upon the Lord Jesus. He took the wrath of God upon himself and took our sins as if his own upon himself and hung on the cross and God poured out his judgment upon his son. And God on the cross, Jesus on the cross says, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. He's interceding for us. And the sacrifice was accepted. The Father raised his son up from the dead. And if we've been born again of the Spirit we've been placed into his death and we've been buried with him and we've been raised with him And we have newness of life, dear friends. Do you remember what the Scriptures say? Paul gives testimony in the book of Galatians, chapter 2, and verse 20. I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me, and the life which I now live in the flesh I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. There it is, you see. The love of Christ is a giving love, It's a sacrificial love. It's an outgoing love. And it's a love towards those that are loveless. What a God we have. What a king. Why does the Lord love us? Because he loves us. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son That whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. One of the most famous scriptures in the whole of the Word of God. What a wonderful truth this is, dear friends. God has loved us, given Himself for us. To win us back to himself. Now. What are you going to do. Dear child of God. When the enemy condemns you. When the enemy says you've gone too far. It's over for you. Lay hold on the truth of the love of God. For Jesus sake. For all that he went through. That you might be reconciled back to God forever. That you might be his. Bought at such a price as you are if you're born of the Spirit of God, you've been purchased with the very blood of the Lord Jesus. When the enemy comes to condemn you, remember that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. The Lord cleanses. The Lord forgives us when we confess when we repent and turn, oh, how wonderful it is that the Lord cleanses us. And so, dear friends, I want to finish with the passage in Romans chapter 8. If you turn with me to Romans chapter 8, and I'm going to read from verse 30. Verse 29, rather. For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he did predestinate, them he also called. And whom he called, them he also justified. And whom he justified, them he also glorified. What shall we then say to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? He that spared not his own Son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Who shall lay any charge sorry, lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It is God that justifieth. Who is he that condemneth? It is Christ that died, yea rather that is risen again. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor powers nor things present nor things to come nor height nor depth nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Hallelujah. Praise God for such a love. This word separates that we read in this passage is a word that basically means well it literally from the Greek means to put apart and the same word is used in Matthew 19 verse 6 where Jesus is speaking about marriage and in Matthew 19 verse 6 we read these words wherefore they are no more twain but one flesh What therefore God has joined together, let no man put asunder. Let no man separate us. Separate, sorry. Who shall separate us from the Lord's love, dear friends? The scriptures are clear in Romans 8. I want us to lay hold of this. It says, Paul says, I am persuaded. Now, when you're persuaded, it means you've come to the point where you've been convinced of something. Paul is convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Oh dear friends, how dearly do you consider precious the love that the Lord has for you. There are those abroad even today that seek to turn the grace of God into lasciviousness and seek to use the love of God as it were as a means for them to say that they can live how they want. But I ask you dear friends, in the light of the love that I've presented to you through the scriptures, The love that God has, the costliness of it, the preciousness of it, the sacrificial nature of it. Surely we do not want to treat the love of God in such a manner. I said that that was the last passage I was going to end with, but let me finish with 1 John, chapter 3 and verse 1, please. 1 John chapter 3 and verse 1. Behold, what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us that we should be called the sons of God. Therefore the world knoweth us not because it knew him not. We will be hated by the world if we're truly born again of the Spirit but it is a much more blessed thing to be loved by God who genuinely loves us gave his son commends his love to us that while we were yet sinners Christ died for us may we love him more and more and rejoice in his love friends meditate on the love that God has for you. And that will help you. Repel. Resist the lies. Of the enemy. For the child of God is indeed. Loved of God. In such a way. That condemnation. And these attacks of the enemy. Need have no hold on. Because there is no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. The Lord bless you and encourage your hearts. Let us pray. And then I would like to share a song about love with you to finish off this week. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we thank you for your love and your grace. We pray that you'd write upon our hearts all that you have said to us. And may we respond in faith. To what you have brought to us. We ask these things of you Father. In Jesus name. Amen. Amen. So dear friends I want to finish with a song that I trust. Will be a blessing to you. Speaking about the love. The goodness of the Lord. I wrote this song. For my wedding day. Um, And it's a song of praise unto the Lord. And a song that speaks of His love. And uh, His great mercy towards us, really. And I wrote this song uh, that we had sung at our wedding um, back in 2007. And I thought it would be good to finish this message with this song. So I hope it is a blessing to you. Christ has loved us and given himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet smelling aroma. Ephesians five verse two God bless you and may you have a blessed week in Christ. Amen.